0: If you've been following along, and I hope that you have, I know that there's been a number of different mechanisms. I don't know which way you've been able to jump in or keep track of what we're going, but I'm going to trust, and I do believe you've been following along some, but just for, for those of us who are a little forgetful, let me remind you where we've been. Since the pandemic, or sometimes as my mom, my mom says, she refers to it as the COVID, and she says it like that, and I just I smile. But wait, this is the live stream service now, and I'm, I'm sorry, Mom. But she says it like that, and it always makes me laugh the way she says it. But when we started this, we were in a different book of the Bible. And if you recall, it's been now these last four months that we started and taught through all of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter is an apt, I think a timely book. It's a wonderful book written by an apostle to a church that was discouraged, feeling a little bit out of place, not at home, to help them to hang on, to be kept and held. But if you go back even further than that, do you remember when we weren't worried about everyone's germs? Do you remember when people hadn't suffered and there hadn't been sickness and illness and death? I mean, all the way back. In fact, a year and five months ago or so now, we introduced and we began studying through what we called foundations. It was a study in the book of Genesis. So, this is a way callback. I feel like I'm going back to your childhood now, just bringing nostalgia to you. Do you remember all the way back in 2019, we began studying through the book of Genesis, and it's there that we want to turn now. And I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible or a screen or something, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, right at the very beginning here in just a moment. And here's what the attempt is going to be. The question has been, how do, and in hopes that we gather together and we begin to to march on again as a church and and go back to the things that we've been studying. How do we keep everybody up to speed? How do we summarize everywhere that we've been? Because believe it or not, we we were already up through 30-some chapters of the book of Genesis. We got a pretty long way uh, through it, and so here's the plan. For those of you that plan, maybe you're going to like this. This is for you. For those of you who don't care about planning and you say, listen, I just show up and I let God's Spirit move and you just say what you want. I guess this is also for you, and you're going to be fine no matter what. Let me tell you the plan or the thought for the next number of weeks. We've been praying and thinking about how to get us back into understanding and thinking about what is the message of the book of Genesis. Today, I'm going to try to summarize the introduction. I think that Genesis, if you laid it out plainly, you could break it up more or less into chapter 1 to 11. 1 to 11 is a sort of pre-patriarch period of humanity. No matter what Bible story you told, if it wasn't creation, Adam and Eve, and Noah, then you probably are not in Genesis 1 through 11. Everything else, starting in the 12th chapter of Genesis, picks up, starting in Abraham. Much of the stories we know of the narrative of the story of the Bible starts in chapter 12. It's 1 through 11 that really is its own little unit. And what we want to do, what I want to do today, is to catch us up and to say, well, what are we learning What is God calling us to in these first 11 chapters of Genesis as a book? Then next week, we're going to take a look at the life of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, setting the the course for what the Bible is going to call the covenants that God makes with His people, the promises that He made. We're going to find out today that God is image-bound to us. And what we find starting in verse 12 through the life of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac is that He's not only image-bound to us, but He's promise-bound to us. He's covenant-bound, and so we're going to take time next week to consider and remember back what is he doing in this family that he's called? And then the week after that, the goal is going to be to take a week and to look at and to remember the life of Jacob. We were actually on Jacob's life when we let off in the beginning of March, in the second week of March. Jacob had been having dreams of ladders and going to heaven, and he was about to wrestle with an angel, and all kinds of exciting things. What we're going to do is we're going to summarize and look at the life of Jacob, the way that his name has changed, and how he comes probably most fully into the promise that God made when He said, "I'm going to call a people to myself." That's Jacob and his family. So that'll be in a two weeks from now. See how I had a pregnant pause there before taking water? So you'd say, "But what's coming next?" No, you're anxious. Then the goal is, here's the plan. The goal is that starting on the 23rd of August, you see, we make plans like this and we think through things as though there's not a pandemic and everything is normal. And you know what? I'm just going to keep doing that. So on the 23rd, I don't know if you knew this, but that would have been a time when FSU's in full swing and FAMU is here and all of the kids are back to school and parents are rejoicing and, and everyone's just happy and we're, we're back and we're gathered. And the goal would have been and it's still going to be, on the 23rd, we're going to start in the 37th chapter of Genesis. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph. And the, the upside down, ironic world and life of Joseph where we see that oftentimes to trust God means that we give him the sovereignty, the permission to rule in a way that we don't see. The mysterious work of God. That in Joseph's life, God meant good. That's going to be where we start the end of August anyway, through the fall. So you with me? You got the plan? We got it pencil sketched? Everybody ready? Now, of course, no, we're doing this no matter what. If I have to echo through a paper cup with a string attached to each of your homes, this is the plan, okay? So we'll do it, whatever happens. This week, my goal or my plan or my task in front of me is to say, well, let's get reminded about what did we learn and why did we jump into Genesis in the first place? And let me just tell you as simply as I can, the reason that we jumped into Genesis in the first place is because you and I, as human beings, us, our town, our city, our people, there are basic questions about life that all of us need answers to. It is difficult to live a moment or an hour or a day, let alone weeks and months, years and even decades, being lost on the most basic and fundamental questions of life. And what Genesis seeks to give us, the beginning of the Bible, it sets at the outset answers. It asks the right questions and gives us answers to things that every society and every person from the depth of her soul needs to ask and needs to find meaning in. We call the beginning of the study of Genesis foundations because here's some simple questions that probably need an answer to. Why is there anything rather than nothing? I could just say it like this, what is this place? We're we're wandering around realizing the very evident danger of an invisible virus that spreads the planet, spreads across the planet in sometimes nearly imperceptible ways. We wake every morning... To a massive, bigger than we can imagine, burning ball of gas millions of miles away, sending light rays to us. Those light rays turn into things to eat. There's some more complicated stuff that happens between there, but basically, that's what happens. No matter who you are, or where you've lived, or what time it is, or what technology you had or didn't have, everyone has to ask the question what is this place? Where are we? And Genesis seeks to answer that question. More than that, everyone positions themselves because, whether you like it or not, everyone is the main character of their own story, so they will inevitably say, not only what is this place, but who am I? And what am I doing here? What am I supposed to be doing here? Am I missing it? Am I hitting it? Am I winning? Am I losing? How about questions of afterlife or just life and death in general? Is this physical world all that there is? What do we make of spiritual things and the impulse that human societies and cultures have had from the very beginning to long for something more, to sense that somehow human beings are different than the rest of creation? Why is it that we have watches and care about time? Why here in a little while will you be very concerned that maybe I'm taking too much time to explain simple things? Why the anxiety in us? Why the restlessness? Why does Jesus have to teach human beings to look at the sparrows who don't worry, but we worry? You see, there's something about us and our role in the world and this place that we live that makes us wonder. Everyone has these questions and what God has given us in Scripture, that the reason that I love The reason that I love Christianity, the reason that I love the faith that God has given us is because it helps us to be steady and steadfast in a world that often feels like there are far more questions than answers. I guess what I would say the benefit of a morning like this, and why in just a moment I'm going to say, let's look at the first verse of the first book of the Bible in the first chapter. Sometimes it helps us to go back to the basics, to remember things that are foundational. What do I know for sure? And that's what Genesis is about. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 5. Five verses, and then I'm going to try to frame this part of Genesis in what I believe is the big story of the whole Bible. So I want to invite you to follow along. This is the first verse of the Bible. Probably well known to you, I guess is that whether you knew you memorized it or not, you haven't memorized, you can tell me what the be- beginning is. It starts like this. In the beginning, God, we've prayed often this morning. I've already prayed multiple times, but let me be specific. God, I ask that these words would be what they are. Our confession is that they're living and active and they're for us. And so I pray that that's what they would be. We'd find life. We'd find meaning and purpose. Most of all, that we would find our way back to you who created us and love us. So I ask for a blessing on your people Whatever distractions we've come with, whatever disappointments or discouragements, whatever hopes we had and joys we've brought, let us, let us point them all in your direction. We want to be unified in our learning, so we pray you'd help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis, it could be said, whether you know anything else about it, is at least about creation. In the beginning, God created. And I want to hang most of what I'm going to say today on that word, creation. It was helpfully told to me one time, if you want to summarize the story of the whole Bible, and I hope that you realize that, this is one story. The Bible is not a whole bunch of books about different things, it's one book about one thing. And if you want to summarize that one book, there's some helpful ways to think about it. Basically, the story of the whole earth, the whole world, the history of everything can boil down to these big concepts, creation, fall, redemption, and what might be called consummation or fulfillment Consummation maybe isn't a word that you want to use there, but fulfillment or or remaking, it's a little different than redemption. But creation, fall, redemption, fulfillment. These are the biggest concepts. When we think about the story of what we are and where we are and what's happening, I think you can fit nearly every question of philosophy, every human longing, every war that's ever been fought on the dirt of this world somewhere falls into and could be told under these big headings. It's about creation, and it's about the fall, and it's about redemption, and ultimately all of history for all eternity into the future will be about the fulfillment of God's work in this story. Genesis starts at the beginning, at the basics, to get us grounded in the story, in the place that we're living So, I'm going to be able to, because I'm only talking about the first 11 verses of Genesis, to remind us, I'm going to be talking mainly about creation and fall, though they clearly tie into and should make us anticipate redemption and fulfillment. So, if we consider creation, what do we mean by this? Well, what we're asking and answering is the most basic question of all, why is there something rather than nothing? And Genesis tells us, as plainly as can be, the answer, the most basic answer, you learned this in Sunday school when you were three, the most basic answer to everything is God. I don't remember if it was Zach or someone in a, in a service, it could have been Brian a number of weeks back, but they, they told the story, right, of a little kid in Sunday school where the teacher says to them, what does blue and yellow make? And everyone sits there scared and silent. And one little kid finally raises his hand, and he says, God. And the teacher says, no, it makes green. Did I get those colors right? Does blue and yellow make green? It makes green. And then all the little kids kind of laughed, and finally one kid came over, and he said, well, teacher, I want you to know I knew that. But I was in Sunday school, and it always seems like the answer is God. So I said God, right? And it turns out that the instinct of the little child, who intentionally got it wrong, was wise in this sense. The ultimate answer to why is there something rather than nothing is that God is. What a gift for the Bible to begin by placing us in proper perspective with this being who has been forever and will be forever. The answer to why anything exists ever is God's desire and His creating. He made lest there be nothing. Creation tells us, and we must get grounded in this fact, that God is. He is the most unshakable reality and foundation of all life. No matter what study you do, or what test you do, or what pursuit you have in this world, you must answer this basic question. Because He is, because God is, all is. That is the story that we rehearse and tell one another. This is the ultimate place for the beginning of meaning. If you step off wrong here, the rest of the journey is completely wrong. You're getting on the wrong airplane. You're stepping on the wrong bus. I don't know profession or work you're in, but there might be some aspect to your expertise. It's one of my favorite things when I meet with people. Everyone has a job that whether they like it or not, some people love their jobs, other people work their jobs and they just see it as work, but all of you are masters of expertise of the most mundane, interesting, crazy, odd things. You know how to make trinkets and you know how trinkets work in a way that other people don't know and you know how literature functions with fancy grammar words and you know how sports technique happens with elbow twitches and you know all kinds of things. And my guess is that you could describe to someone the foundational principles of your work, and you might say to someone, well, you can't start off getting that wrong, or it's all broken. And what our Bibles tell us is that if we want to tell the story of the world, if we want to understand who we are, we can't get this wrong. God is, and because He is, all is. There is simply no explanation that will satisfy There is no extent or pursuit of scientific study that will deliver us the kind of meaning that we need if we get this wrong. Ultimately, the story of the Bible, the story of this world begins with God. Hebrews later tells us this is the essence of faith. Faith is this, to believe that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. We cannot please Him otherwise. This is a foundational principle of life It will change everything about who we are if we get this wrong. Now, here's the good news. It doesn't end there because you say, well, here's the deal. God is, and I know that I'm not Him. And if I need to, I'll remind you this morning. Do you know that? (laughs) Do you know that God is and you're not it? Okay, so we're settled there. There's a lot more to this world though. Creation includes not only God but the fact that he's so delighted, he he had such an overflow of who he is that he spoke into existence that over nothing, formlessness and just mere voids, God spoke and said, "Let there be things." Trees and water and molecules and duck-billed platypuses and kitty cats and mountain ranges, God spoke. And there is creation, there are things. And one of the most fascinating aspects of the world, something we must insist on, is that what He created is good, it's to be enjoyed. There's two words that dominate the first part of the book of Genesis, two words that dominate it. The first one is obvious, it's the Sunday school answer, it's God. You know that that word God is used 35 times in the first chapter of Genesis? 35 times. So if you're a kind of person who says, well, I want to know if there's meaning in the world and what, where is this place and where am I? And you turn to the Bible for answers, it's going to get the first thing right and it's going to get it right over and over and over again. God, 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 God. Related to this word God, I think there's a linguistic connection that's intentional. You know what the next word that's used most often in the beginning of Genesis is? Good, good, good. As Christians, as those who say we have some foundations, some things we know, yes, a lot of the world seems a little crazy right now, but not everything's crazy. Let me tell you what is true and what we can stand on, and this is what can be stood upon. God created things good. That means that not only is there no shame and embarrassment in enjoying the good gifts that God has given in this world, but it is a delight and it is glorifying to Him when we do so. Now, I'm insisting upon this point because I think Christians down through the ages sometimes, understandably, and because they should be held to account for this and sometimes because they're misunderstood as people will always be misunderstood because that's what people do is they misunderstand one another. I think sometimes Christians have not done justice to the goodness of God's creation in our attempts to convince people and, to, and I think with a good spirit say to them... Don't be tempted by the world. Don't love the world. Don't drink too much. Don't eat too much. Don't lust too much. Not too much. Don't be outdoors too much. I don't know if we say outdoors too much, but maybe don't be, I don't know what we'd say. Don't be gone too much you know, like people get addicted to fishing, you know what I mean, things like that. And so maybe what can be heard is that what God made is a world of temptation there to distract you, that it's all bad, and what you need to do is be quiet and silent and pray a lot so you can escape this place. This has been a heresy and something to reject from the beginning. One of my favorite author, authors is Wendell Berry, and my wife and I are reading a novel by him called Jaber Crow right now. It's I don't want to spoil it because I hate spoilers more than anybody, but it is a memoir. It's a story told from the narrator, the author's perspective, and he was a small-town barber in a very small farming community in Kentucky, starting in 1920 or so, up through the end of his life. And he has very interesting spiritual musings in this book. He talks about his experience with church, and he finds himself attending church on Sunday mornings not out of interest or out of devotion, but because he got a job cleaning it. And he said that he liked to show up and have the old women tell him that he did a good job. But there's a wonderful section of the middle of this book that describes this relationship that Christians ought to have or have with the goodness of this world. And in fact, the one thing that Jay, Jay Crow, could not get over, in fact, one of the things that he found to be the most hypocritical was what he said was the church's insistence that everything around them and all of the world that they were inhabiting was to be avoided and to be made, to, to be apologized for. And he said, and yet these people who constantly and only spoke of the difficulty and the downfall of this world and the need to escape it, he said their greatest hypocrisy is that so many of them would leave to wonderful, delightful, delicious, home-cooked fried chicken, and they would dive in with smiles to blueberry pie. And in the story, through this paragraph after paragraph, to him, he described this to be one of the greatest spiritual hypocrisies. He could find no accounting, at least in his story, he could find no accounting in the church of in the enjoyment of God's creation. And what we need to do, what we need to do is to insist, and I know it's going to be hard because we also have other things we have to insist upon. We need to insist that when God created the world, not only was He the reason that anything is, but when He made it, it was good, and it is perfectly wonderful, and God glorifying and to be expected that to be more human is to be more willing and able to open our hands and to receive the good things that He has created. So what we learn in creation, if we're going to tell someone the story of the world, how did things get here? We must account for creation, that God is that he made things good. And then finally, I think we fall under this this category. I think the most fundamental questions of is there a God and why is there anything instead of of nothing and is it good, also under the heading of creation, if we're telling the story of the world, this is where we show up. This is where we're born. Human beings, you see, get their own section, both at the end of chapter one as well as a retelling in all of chapter two about the moment that God in the midst of his creating of good things says, you know what, I'm going to do one further thing. So this same pattern, this order that comes about, if there's one thing we know about creation, chapters 1, 1 through 5 that we read, it starts with void and nothing, and by the end of it, there's some order and things to name. So by the time you get to the end of verse 5, there's something to name, the first day. That pattern is repeated over and over and over again through creation until one final culmination where there is a difference in creation, and that's where we come in. Humanity is image-bound to God in a way that the rest of creation is not. God's mountains tell His glory, God's waves tell His glory, God's stars tell His glory, but human beings, you and me, tell the story of God's glory in a different way. It's as though God said, I love these things, this, what I've made is good, but none of this is bound to me in a way that I'm pleased with. And so God took out His personal stamp, His personal seal, And he creates mankind from the dust of the earth and breathes his very life, his breath into humanity. And it is this explanation, it is this understanding from the very beginning. Here's some basic questions for you. What is a person? Why do they matter? Is their life significant? Is it a tragedy on a grand scale for a human being to accidentally step on a bug? Is that different than another human being accidentally stepping on a human being? I know I probably went, that escalated quickly, but you know what I'm saying, like this is where philosophy really goes. Do we have any standing to understand who we are? And if you've ever talked with someone, there's been times when I've tried to counsel people or I've heard them interact with others, close friends from back home, and I've thought through how difficult it is to handle the most basics basic understandings of life and experience and emotion and attraction and ethics and morals, if you do not have an agreement or an understanding on what is a person, why do humans matter? What is it about us? Why are we aware? Why do we care? Why do we rule? Like we both, we rule. And we rule. We literally rule. Why? And what you'll find is that to arrive at meaning and purpose in this life, getting this wrong, if creation is sideways, if you cannot accept or receive the image-bound relationship we have with the Creator, the uniqueness of mankind, it will be difficult to arrive at any coherent meaning in the world. What God gives us in the accounting of Genesis... a foundational, basic story of the world that He is, that what He created is good, and that human beings are part of this creation, but part of this creation in a unique, set-apart way. It's what explains the rest of the story. Why is God so insistent that losing us to sin and destruction is something that He cannot accept? Why Why is the story of the rest of the Bible told through the lens of of God's desperation. I shouldn't use the word desperation with God as though He's trying and striving. How about His devotion? God's devotion to call us back to Himself. Well, it has to do with creation. He calls us back to Himself because He made us and stamped us with His image. We have His very breath in us. We're His. And this is how you tell the story of who we are. If you're thinking, well, how do I engage people or do I know this myself? I find that these big headings and these kind of questions are the most simple way to arrive at spiritual conversations with people. If you get the chance to sit down with someone and they're open to conversation, you know them and you don't, you think to yourself, well, I don't know theology well enough to dive into these things and I don't really know. I think sometimes you could just start with basics like this. What do you think a person is? Are they different than the rest of creation? And I think that in the very midst of this conversation, if someone's willing to enter it, one, you'll find that they need to have an answer to this, and two, you'll find very, very quickly that there will be tons of moments of conversation to say, oh, well, here's where we differ, and let me tell you the meaning of this life. I think furthermore, though, I said I was going to start with the idea of creation and God being, and the goodness of it in humanity, it's the second point that I think probably right now is fodder for conversation. And that is, is that our Bible tells us, and you probably know this, that chapters 1 and 2 don't last very long. They're a very short portion of our Bible, and much of the rest of the story is told under the second heading, The Fall. I don't know in your Bible, you might want to look, but in mine, at the beginning of chapter 3, there's a heading there that just helps us very clearly. It says, The Fall. It turns out that all of these foundational things that we learned and we knew about, well, they didn't bring about peace for very long. It tells us at the beginning of chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty. And he says to the woman, did God actually say? He challenges the very nature of the relationship between human beings and God. He essentially says to the woman something like this. God is keeping things from you. He doesn't want you happy. He doesn't want you joyful. He doesn't want you knowing or experiencing what he knows and he experiences. And it's this temptation that leads to the sin of the world. This is the accounting of Genesis and what God has given us as Christians, our accounting of what's wrong with the world. And let me tell you, if you haven't looked around, there are things wrong with the world. Again, if you're having a conversation with someone if they're a super humble person and maybe struggling with something personally, then my guess is they've had experience with the fall related to themselves. Everyone knows something is wrong if they just try to live according to their principles. Everyone, Romans chapter 1 tells us that our own consciences will accuse us, either congratulate or accuse us. And what Genesis gives us starting in the third chapter is an accounting of humanity that is sin, has sinned and is under the fall. How many of us feel the effects of the fall in our own hearts? We say things like this. I don't want to be so addicted. I don't want to be so angry. I want to be more disciplined. I wish I was more loving. I don't know why I didn't accomplish more. I don't know why I'm lazy. I don't know why I'm so petty. I don't know. I don't want to be jealous. I don't want to be hard-hearted and bitter. I wish I could forgive more. All of us, if we're honest from the depths of our soul, feel the effects of the fall. I can tell you glorious statements about God is and He made a wonderful good world and He breathed life into human beings and so many people that you know and meet will say, yeah, but the experience of being me is really hard. Do you know what it's like to be trapped in sin? These are the questions that real people are going to answer, are going to have to answer Because you live more than five minutes and you realize something's broken. It's not the way that it should be. And whether or not they feel it from the depth of their soul, they'll certainly eventually feel it in their bodies. I spent many days this week waddling around with a very stiff lower back. Just the kind of stuff that old people deal with. Can you believe that? I don't know how it happened. How did things that normally older people deal with happen to me? It couldn't be. We fall apart. We have arthritis. We will eventually realize that even this good thing that came in here, we will feel it in us. More than that, here's some questions that people ask and answer. What happens when you're sinned against? First Peter handled this often in the idea of suffering. It doesn't take too long to realize there's something wrong with the world, when you interact with someone else and they're evil. It's bad enough when they're evil or they hurt you unintentionally, but more than that, it doesn't take more than five days on the playground to realize some people will hurt you on purpose. They won't even be sorry. They'll do it for show. And what the world will ask, what every civilization wants to know, is what is wrong with this place? What is wrong with us? And it's here that God gives us a proper accounting of things well, here's what's wrong with us. Sin is wrong with us. And it's affected everything. God tells us not only does it affect individuals like Adam and Eve who find the wages of sin being death, but it involves the way we relate to one another. We sin against one another. And then more than that, get this, even God's good creation feels the effects of the fall so that it, it strives in futility. The very ground of the earth is cursed. So as beautiful and gorgeous as the massive sprawling granite wall. Yosemite is. We also find thorns and thistles and viruses that spread around the world undetectable and are a blight. The Bible tells us that what is wrong with this place and what is wrong with us and what's wrong with you is the fall. I love the fact that the scriptures are so clear in an accounting and a telling of the story of the world that we can insist over and over and over again that there is good in the world and God made it and that He is. That human beings are in His image and they should be protected and cared for and loved. They have an eternal essence about them. And at the same time, we don't have to lie and we can dive down into the depths of human pain and realize and say with someone, You're right. There's a lot of problems here. I'm as sorry as you are. The story of the Bible is a story of creation and a story of the fall. And depending on your circumstance, there may be decades even where you skate along and the fall seems like a theory to you. There are other moments when the fall feels like nothing but all there is. The fall feels near and dear and here and in me. This is the accounting of the world in which we live. There is purpose, there is meaning, there is difficulty like any wonderful story. You ever wonder why every great story ever told? I talked with my kids about this before. When I first started to talk about story and they thought, why is there always problems introduced? Well, because that's the grand story of the world. There's goodness and there's characters and there's meaning, but there's problems introduced. And that brings us to the anticipation, the hope that we should have. Right in the midst of God doling out consequences for sin, He gives the first down payment, the little hope to say, I will come and I will crush the head of the serpent, God shows His mercy in the very beginning by stalling out the death that they deserved by providing covering for them with animals that are nearby. By protecting them from eating of the knowledge of tree of the, the tree of the, the knowledge of the tree and evil. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God has placed the down payment of redemption in this world because He loves us, because He's image bound to us. Because He knows the plight, He sees us, there will be redemption. It is God, in the story of Genesis, in 1 through 11, it is God who continually shows mercy uninvited. God knows all. He knows the exchange. He knows that Adam and Eve have sinned. It is Him who shows up still the next day and tries to walk with them in the cool of the day. It is God who calls out and says, where are you? He invites them to talk. It is God who gives them both curse and promise, God that covers, God that protects them from the tree. Later on, as sin and the, the full extent of the fall seems like it's just about to take over everything, it is God that comes to find Noah who finds righteousness in his eyes and says, but God, but Noah. It's this but, it's this mercy, it's this change, this turn that also teaches us. This this is a very hard word to say, i go for it. On it indomitable spirit. Indomitable spirit that human beings have, despite all evidence to the contrary. You know what's weird about us? We still hope. We still say, well, we can do this. We can get better. It's, one, it's the reason one of the most difficult sicknesses that human beings find is when they give up hope to live without hope is not possible but to be human and to be moving and living is to say but we can fix this and we can hope and we can we can know that there will be better days and that is put into us because we're made in the image of God who gives mercy uninitiated uninvited he comes in with mercy both to Adam and Eve to Noah it is the story of Genesis to introduce God as the central character Creation is his handiwork. The fall is the real problem of the world, but then also the hint and the promise of redemption that things can be made right. It's the reason that we gather on a Sunday morning like this, and I try to teach to you, even though I can't see eyes. You know how hard it is to teach to people who are half-sleepy anyway? Now you have a mask. Like, this is... But we still gather. Like, we're still here. It's the reason I can tell you, one day we're going to laugh about this, or one day we're going to... One day we're going to see that God has moved and things have changed. And I don't want to spoil it for you. I told you I hate spoilers. But the whole story of the Bible is that ultimately this redemption that God has promised in seed form in Genesis chapter 3 comes to fruition where He speaks not only creation to the world but His very self into the world. And Jesus comes to redeem, to give hope, to make right what has fallen And ultimately, there will be a day when we sit on the front porch of our heavenly abodes in perfect unity with every tribe, nation, tongue, and language, every bit of injustice put right, every virus put to rest, every bit of tears and crying, every addiction, every malady of the soul, every bit of prison that it feels like we're living in, every hurt, every bit of bitterness from those who've sinned against us. And we will rejoice seeing the fulfillment of the redemption of God. That's the story of the Bible. These are things that we know for sure. God will come and He will move and He will put things right. You know, what's amazing about this is that the very earth, Romans tells us, the very earth itself is crying out for this. It can't wait. It's going to be remade. And so this thing that our character in Jaber Crow is so longing for, he wants human beings to rejoice in and see the goodness of creation, to see them met in perfect harmony. Well, that relationship has been severed, and we either abuse or refuse the goodness of the earth. But one day, all remade perfect harmony under the kingship of God, who is, who was, who ever will be. It's these kind of things. I don't know about you, but in our day and age... Where are we going to be next month? How many cases? And how is the economy going to be? And are we going to go to school or not? Is anyone going to live in Tallahassee? Will you get sick? Will I get sick? Is this election going to go okay? Are we ever going to treat one another lovingly and admit the sin of racism in our country? Like, are these things ever going to be solved? And what we must insist upon, the hope that we have, the reason that we have faith, the reason we're Christians is because we've been told the story. And the answer is a a resounding yes. These things will be made right. And so, we can go to our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones, people who are lost in the world, people who are trying to tell a coherent story but keep missing the main plot points. We can ask the questions, and in humility we can offer the answers of certainty. God has given us foundational hope in Him. I want to take a moment and pray for us. Let's pray. God, I ask that wherever we've been tempted to escape or be distracted, maybe wherever we've just been beaten down by the circumstances of our world and of this life, I pray that we would tell ourselves again and again the story of redemption. Help us to remember the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I pray that not only would we tell ourselves that, but through muffled masks, if we must, let us tell one another God, we ask that you would bring this about. We feel the effects of the fall. We really do. Would you bring about the full redemption offered to us in Jesus so that we could live in the fulfillment of your kingdom? We pray this. We long for that day. We say, Jesus, Lord Jesus, come. Come soon. We ask this in His name. Amen.